Well, Mark, here we are with another episode of Security North and South. How you been? I've been doing uh, doing well. I've actually spent some time in the South, Eddie, as you know, but uh, I can't complain. How are you? Oh, not bad. I noticed your accent was a little bit more southerny here on, on our call. So, um, and I'm friendlier, Eddie. I'm friendlier. Go yeah, on. yeah. You're much more polite, and I'm sure your dietary uh, habits have changed being here in the South. So, um, it was a great uh, it was a great trip, and I uh, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed every minute of it. So it's been uh, it's been good. Yeah, yeah. How about you? How's the summer been? It's been good. Been traveling a lot for work. Got a lot of great, interesting things going on in the business world. So uh, sky's the limit here. Recently in the security industry, still a lot of challenges out there when it comes to labor and certainly the threats that are faced by the the end users. But overall, it's been good. Yeah, I don't know what you think, but even if you think we think about the business side, um, definitely less of a slowdown this summer. It's it's been constant, right? It's been uh, it's been been going and not just incident based, right? Just kind of constant flow of business yeah and I, one of the things you and i have talked a lot about is, is the evolution of the security industry and and seeing it through all different lenses and and users really talking about wanting a company to mitigate all their risk whether it comes to technology-based solutions personnel uh, so you know it's it's still not a, a very rapid pace that we're seeing but but an evolution nonetheless and i think in the upcoming months and certainly years and it's one of the things we talked about with, with this episode's guest, really having one security industry, not, not different silos when it comes to what risk we address. Exactly. And speaking of evolution, what a great intro to the topic, right? And, uh, we're, uh, we've got Antoinette King as our guest, uh, founder of Credo Cyber, Cyber Consulting. We have wanted her uh, as a guest from day one when we were planning this a little while ago. Absolutely. And, um, tell, tell, us, tell us a quick bit about, about Antoinette. Yeah, Antoinette's been around, uh, certainly the last few years, been around longer than that, but her uh, background, I think, is certainly unmatched. She, she talks a little bit about how she got started, a great story, and beyond just her work in the industry, she is very plugged in, very passionate when it comes to women in security, uh, doing all different things in the association world. So when it comes to cyber expertise, you won't find anyone better than Antoinette, but also when it comes to being a champion for women in security, young professionals, she's also the, the, the top when it comes to that as well. So uh, we really enjoyed this episode, but, but Mark, before we get into this, speaking of the South, uh, we're both going to be in the South here uh, in the very near future when it comes to GSX in Atlanta. It's around the corner, Eddie. I can't believe it. Somebody was talking to me about GSX the other day, and I said, oh, we still got a little bit of time to do some planning around that. And uh, lo and behold, it is literally around the corner, just a couple of weeks away. And I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I know you are, you and I, you know, are in, are in regular contact, and uh, there's going to be a lot going on this year. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I get in on the Sunday uh, for some uh, North American board meetings, and then there's just, uh, it's go, go, go until the Thursday. So when you get in or when do you plan to get in? I'll be in that Saturday with some meetings as well. So if you're listening to this, you plan to, to be at GSX, uh, look out for two tall guys, or one really tall guy and one semi-tall guy. Um, so we'd love to uh, to meet each and every one of you and, and make some new friends and reconnect with some old friends as well. But in the meantime, enjoy this episode with Antoinette King. She's talking about cybersecurity and a lot of different things. So Mark, I really enjoyed this conversation. So until next time, uh, visit us at securitynorthsouth.com. Look forward to seeing you in the future. Thanks, Eddie. Talk soon. Thanks, Mark.
Well, here we are for another edition of Security North South. And Mark, I remember when you and I talked about doing this podcast and talking about cybersecurity, we both agreed the person we would need to get was Antoinette King. We did agree to that. And not only that, cyber was one of the hot topics we absolutely wanted to talk about. Eddie, Eddie, good news. Antoinette was available, and she agreed to join us on this podcast. Ah, well, I know she is is, is quite the, the busy person when it comes to podcasts and appearances, so we're great to have her here today. So, Antoinette, tell us a little bit about yourself. You guys are oh so kind. Um, so thank you for having me. I, uh, I know that we went back and forth a little bit, and I'm just glad that we were able to nail down a date. Um, so... My story is a little bit unique in that I'm one of the few people in the security industry that came here by design. I actually went to school for it. And um, back in the late 90s, everything was analog. But when I was going for my degree, uh, the person that was the chair of our program said, hey, you should probably get some computer training because the security industry and the IT industry are going to converge. And he was way ahead of his time because convergence wasn't even a thing back then. So I went and I got Microsoft trained and he said, oh, by the way, there's hardware people and there's software people. Not many people do both. So he said, so you might want to do some hardware training. So I said, okay. So then I went and I got my A plus certification and I ended up getting um, hired in the security industry, not because of my degree, but because of my computer background. It, you know, it was early 2000, um, things were still analog, but we were starting to see that, you know, reporters were starting to be put on networks. So uh, I got hired as a technician. It was probably one of the, like the top two jobs besides the job I have now that uh, in my, in the industry was being a tech and building systems and watching them grow. So um, from there, I kind of transitioned to a couple of different uh, roles within the industry. I was a tech for about four and a half years. I was nine months pregnant on a ladder at the Statue of Liberty. And the, <laughs> the guys was like, you might want to hang up a tool belt since it doesn't fit around your belly anymore. I'm like, oh, darn it. So um, after you know, I had my son, I ended up going into more sales, technical training, um, technical support operations, all on the integration side. Uh, fast forward a few years, I ended up going to work uh, for Access Communications, which was a fantastic experience. And there I started working from the manufacturing side with a lot of large end customers. And all of a sudden I started recognizing that um, we weren't doing a really great job as an industry in securing endpoint devices, right? So here we are security professionals and we're actually contributing to making systems vulnerable. So I needed to learn more about that, right? I went back to school as an adult, which is not as easy as it is in your 20s. <laughs> and I got my master's degree in cyber policy and risk analysis. And then I started seeing things I couldn't unsee. And I started realizing the global threat landscape is so much bigger than I thought and supply chain was a huge part of that. I ended up doing my dissertation on uh, this cybersecurity maturity model certification, which at the time the DOD was just starting to roll out because I started realizing supply chain is really, um, you know, the soft underbelly of our entire country, of, of, of the nation and, and of the world, really, of, of every nation. We're North South, right? So we're new in sure. Canada. And <laughs> supply chain genuinely is um, critical to the vulnerabilities within any organization, whether it's it's in the commercial industry or the, or the you know, public sector. So I just decided that I was going to go out on my own. I, I formed Credo Cyber Consulting about two years ago. 
And uh, the goal of my consultancy is to bridge the gap between physical and cybersecurity and to make cybersecurity accessible to all people. It's not something that's an IT related problem. And I think that we've done a really poor job uh, in the security industry to kind of segregate ourselves, the us against them, right? And so it's like, IT is gonna do their thing, we're security professionals, we're gonna micro segment, we're gonna build our own network and heck with them. And, and I really want to change that mindset. You know, we have a whole generation of us that grew up in this industry, like firmware, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So we don't understand life cycle management. Um, and, and so that's kind of my story. That, that's where the passion really got reignited was when I started recognizing some of these deficiencies. And so the first company I ever worked for, my first uh, boss as a technician, his name was Frank Junta, he passed away, but he said to me, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And so I decided I wanted to be part of the solution. So now I work with companies to help them build out stronger cyber posture within their organizations, how they handle their own data, but also integration firms and how to implement secure environments. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, certainly a, a great advice there. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. But before we go any further, please tell me you have a picture somewhere of you on a ladder near the Statue <laughs> of Liberty. I, I, I actually yeah. will provide you. I have a picture of myself ah. in the porch at the Statue of Liberty. We were putting some wireless equipment up, and I'm um, one of the very few people in modern times that have actually been up on the torch. I was going to say, wow. you, you were, you were holding hold the torch for a moment there. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and yeah. speaking of holding the torch, it's, it's great that you were – I mean, that you got that kind of mentorship early on in your career too, right? I mean, that, that advice of, hey, go get a whole bunch of different uh, knowledge sets yeah. and bring them together, you know, and have that foresight too. And, and um, you know, for someone to say that they actually chose the industry as opposed to the industry choosing it, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And, um, you know, you, you founded Credo, what, I, I think about two years ago, I think you said. Have you seen, even in that last little gap, have you seen a lot of change in terms of, how the business side of it works are more people reaching out less people reaching out, different people reaching out like what's the business side of that consulting look like uh it's very interesting so when we talk about security we've got to talk about the two sides of it right so we've got the end customers and then we have the service providers and the products the manufacturing side of it um service providers and manufacturing i, I kind of lump them together and what i'm seeing is that i'm getting a tremendous amount of influx of service providers and manufacturers because it's being driven by the end customer which is exactly what my experience was when i worked for the menu for access as a manufacturer was that the end customers are being forced by regulation or just by you know the industry itself to be smarter and, and to really look into their um, supply chain and, and make sure that they're being more vigilant about the, the partnerships in their ecosystem. So what happens? They send out these vendor assessments and you get this you know toilet paper roll of spreadsheet asking a thousand questions. <laughs> and most of those questions, people like deer in the headlights, they have no idea what they're talking about. And so then they have to hire somebody to A, decipher what that spreadsheet means but yeah. B, connect the dots of how does my organization fit within the ecosystem that they're trying to build, right? So now it's trickling down to the manufacturers. It's trickling down to the service providers where they're like, well, we better get our acts together, both on the product side, but also within my organization internally, because those vendor management, those vendor assessments, they're not just looking at the products. They want to oh, no. know how you as a company are handling data. They're going deep. Yeah, yeah big yeah. time, big time. It's so, funny, I 
Oh, sorry, sorry. There's a slight, slight delay, but I, Eddie, you and I were talking about this a little while ago about how you started getting a lot of these requests, right? And and it was something that just wasn't there in the past. And I've got one ask before Eddie kind of jumps into that one. Antoinette, if you could have and create the world's number one vendor assessment questionnaire that everyone has the same one, that would be amazing. Instead of like, they're all just, they all want the same thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're all asked a little bit differently. And, you know, I guess it makes sense too. Yeah, let's make sure we copyright and trademark that if we, if we, <laughs> well, if, we could, if we could just standardize on one framework, I'd be happy. Then yeah, we can have yeah. one assessment. I mean, that would be golden, but I think we're a long way from there. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and Mark and I have both in our respective industries, you know, Mark on the technology side and I deal with technology, but also personnel. And I've heard a lot just over the past few years that, you know, cyber is still in, in its own silo. We don't need to, to be concerned about that. But we've seen a huge uptick just in the past year, uh, much less the past four or five years. And our end users asking us, how are you securing our data? How are you doing things properly when you're on our network? And one of the things I wanted to touch on, too, is I see a lot of people, I hate to say, using guesswork when they fill out these questionnaires or even more importantly, when it comes to cybersecurity. I know personally every year when I go through a renewal, the underwriting gets more and more stringent. Uh, take something just as simple as multi-factor authentication. You start to check those boxes and try to fill in a, a, an answer you think is best. What's the danger in an unified person trying to answer those questions? So you hit on a really good point, and that's language. Mm -hmm. um, language is different whether you're talking to the underwriter or you're talking to an auditor. Let's say you're going through a SOC audit or you know ISO 27001. So understanding the language and being really clear on what do you mean when you ask this question, yeah. right? Uh, that that's really important and. And then within your own organization, what do I, what do we define PII or what do we define as, you know, sensitive data? How do we categorize this stuff? Organizations are not talking about that. And so when you get the questionnaire, it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse. If you don't have a program in place and you can't connect the dots between sensitive information and how it's stored, whether it's data at rest, data in transit or data in use, uh, then, then you're, you're opening yourself up to serious liability. So when you talk about, for example, if you're looking at your cyber insurance and under you're saying underwriters, they are there. If you are able to get underwritten, you're, yeah. you know, you're lucky, right? Sure. Um, but what you need to understand is you can't guess at these things because fill out the questionnaire, fast forward and, you know, heaven forbid you're in the middle of an incident, you risk not being covered by your insurance carrier if you failed to comply with whatever it is or failed to demonstrate whatever it is that you attested to in that questionnaire. So there's yeah, a lot of risk involved. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I just glanced at a headline, I believe this week, where an insurer denied a huge claim because the company said they were doing MFA and they really weren't. And the, the insurance company found that out and denied the claim. So, so really risking a lot trying to answer questions that may seem somewhat routine and generic, but if you don't know what you're saying, that could really put a, a lot of, of risk, not on just the company, but any potential claims in the future. Yeah, and when you attest to that, maybe that person who answered the questionnaire thought, oh, we are because yeah. we use it in this particular area, but maybe they weren't using it everywhere. And so when these questions are broad, Mark and I just did the same exact hand <laughs> gesture. When these questions are broad, um, 
you need to push back on your underwriter or or the auditor to say, what do you mean by that specifically? And what are the, you know, can we have exclusions? There needs to be dialogue. Don't just go willy nilly check, checking the boxes of compliance because compliance does not mean security. And so you have to be really that's, clear. And, that, and that's great advice, right? I mean, usually we, we get those questionnaires. We're like, oh, we got to answer these every single one of them. And there isn't a discussion. It's we're, you know, somebody receives it. Right, it gets filled out, it gets sent back, and then there's you know some kind of there's not that back and forth that that uh, that happens there, and, and and the landscape is changing, right? I mean, it, it's quick and it's it's uh, it's ever changing. I mean, anything that's sort of new out there that you're seeing that you didn't see just two years ago. I know you've been doing it obviously a lot longer than two years, but kind of in the last you know the last little while. Well, the the greatest risk right now is the human element, in my opinion, and I think that's always been the greatest risk in security, whether it's physical security or cybersecurity. You can implement every single control known to man. You can spend millions of dollars, but at the end of the day, if you do not have a culture of security within your organization, and Mark, I'm sure you've heard me say this a thousand times, and I will preach this until the day I'm in the ground. A thousand more. <laughs> right? Um, if you do not foster culture of security within your organization and define the why, then it doesn't matter what kind of controls that you have because the sophistication of simple phishing, for example, has gotten so strong that um, you know even the most astute person, the you know the person that's the most hip to cybersecurity, risks falling prey to these these um, these scams. So I think that it's really really important to the, the landscape changes every day. Mark, in answer to your question, you know every day I get text message notifications of new vulnerabilities within software, hardware, you name it, and all crazy ways in which they exploit the vulnerabilities. But at the end of the day, I think that uh, regardless of that, it's the human piece, right? It's it's educating people on why it's important. You know, we the change in the last two years is the fact that we have completely transformed how we do business as a global, you know, yeah. just entity, right? Like, we don't we no longer have barriers there's no longer a, 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 an environment where we control where data from our organization begins and ends it's not fluid I, i'm working with two different companies both companies are 100 percent bring your own device how do you secure that environment hmm. right how, you have to think outside the box how, how do you make sure that the person that's using that device for business is also not doing things you know on social media for example putting their company at risk and now that becomes a really important education piece. Just a few years ago, Antoinette, that, that the answer there would have been ban your own devices, right? Ban personal devices, yeah. sorry, right? It is what it was. And now, could you imagine trying to do that today or proposing that to a customer, right? Just uh, tell, tell people that, you know, only use corporate devices. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, yeah, and she hit on a great point too. You can have all the different policies and controls in place if you don't have education. Because I know just myself, and this used to be an exaggeration, but now it's pretty much dead on. I get at least three to four phishing attempts a week that, that are somewhat sophisticated, not not the ones that just say, click here, you've won a prize, something that's very individualized, that use names of executives in our company, uh, saying things like, we need a deposit for X, and and the, the amount of information they have these days. So... We, we have really invested in, in doing uh, almost an overkill, so to speak, when it comes to education and awareness. Because I, I look back just the other day, 
uh, and I'm not a cybersecurity expert, but I used to send out emails just a few years ago, and I would say things like this, as long as you look at the email address, and if it looks a little bit funky, then, then don't, don't open, but if you see it's my email address, you'll be okay. Well, I can't say that anymore because they have gotten so sophisticated they can, can mask email addresses, and now they're talking to you as if they were your boss or your subordinate. So there's no substitute for training. Uh, but let me ask you this, Antoinette. You, you touched on this uh, before. We hear this term convergence a lot. I know Mark hears it. I hear it. And you read the definition, and it seems somewhat simplistic, but what, what do we really mean when we say convergence? Well, I kind of like to say, you know, during the course of my career, we had the first phase of convergence, which was we take analog devices and we encode them somehow, put it, put it, you know, a network card in them, and now they become a networked device. This new wave, the second wave convergence is really IoT, right? It's industrial internet of things. And it is we, where we are using technology that otherwise was closed systems now on open networks and exposed to the internet. What does that mean? Well, it means that we now have created a much larger attack surface for the bad actors. And we've multiplied exponentially the number of devices that could potentially expose your organization to a vulnerability. So this convergence, this new way of convergence, if you will, is really the notion that we've taken our business operations technology and now incorporated them into networks that were not necessarily designed to be secure. It's unbelievable. And, and I remember reading recently just the number of those devices, the exponential growth of the number of those devices, uh, just going, you know, year over year over year and just getting to be at unbelievable numbers. It's, it's a good thing for job security, though, right? I guess Antoinette, <laughs> in terms of uh, the future, the future is good for Credo. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is good for job security. But when you think about the idea that in 2021, supply chain attacks went up by 50 percent. And you start thinking about what that means for national security, because back in the day, you know, nation states fought against nation states. They fought yeah. wars through military actions. Today, nation states are, are waging war on individual citizens because it's the easiest way to get to the economy, you know? And, and I think that businesses and individuals fail to recognize, and I don't want to sound like an alarmist and I'm not chicken little running around, you know, screaming the sky <laughs> is falling, but the, the fact of the matter is, you know, when you think about misinformation, you think about disinformation, you think about the fact that we do all of our personal and business merge together on single devices, each individual needs to take a certain degree of accountability for what we do and how we do it and understand what our role is not only in securing our own personal information, but also the information of the organization that we're serving. Whether it's being their customer, being the vendor, being an employee, we all have a role. And I think it's really important to recognize that. Yeah, and you, you said it a second ago too, right? The, the human is the weakest link, right? In this whole, in this whole process. And, and that applies to, you know, internal company data and then also of course, external. Yeah. Yeah. and. You know, none of us here would certainly um, minimize the impact of an active assailant attack or some type of physical security 
uh, breach, we see the headlines. Those are certainly tragic, and and the recovery phase for that is is large. But I do think a lot of people have a blind spot as to to how impactful a cybersecurity event can be uh, when it comes to the entire landscape of threats. You know, we, we forget that a lot of companies have unfortunately gone through this and are still recovering sometimes years later. And I know it's hard to, to narrow it down to, to one or maybe even two or three, but in your experience, what is one of the biggest things that companies get wrong when they're trying to really mitigate against a cyber attack? Well, the first is the philosophy that it's not going to happen to us. Oh, yeah. I yeah. speak to so many companies and they feel like the value of the data that's on their network is not high enough for any bad actor to want to do anything with it. And I think that they misjudge the bad actors because ransomware is a trillion dollar business. And the people who are um, you know, committing these crimes, they treat it as a business. So they're looking for the soft target. So whereas you're believing as an organization, I'm too small and they, they're not gonna waste their time on me, they have automated processes now to victimize those very businesses that think that their data isn't worth anything. Well, maybe their data is not worth anything on the dark web, but it's worth something to you. So if I encrypt it and I you know, require a certain payment for the key, guess what? All of a sudden now you've become the target. So I think that organizations, biggest, many organizations, biggest mistake, especially small to medium businesses, think that they're not big enough to become a target. You know, we see this with houses of worship. We see this with K through 12. We see this with local and state law enforcement. They don't have the resources that the large companies have to secure their networks. As a matter of fact, those larger companies are harder targets. So you're going to see those more persistent threats, the ones that are more sophisticated. But for the small to medium businesses, small to medium organizations, not for profits, those are the ones that are, I believe, at even higher risk because they're say, targets. Yeah, even more vulnerable, right? Because yes. the, the, the impact of an incident could actually be whatever, not, not career ending, but company life ending too, you know, yeah. if, it, uh, if it's that, uh, that extensive. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, nobody wants to get the email from, you know, fill in the blank with whatever high profile company. We regret to inform you your data has been compromised. Um, mm -hmm. j just the impact on the trust of that corporate brand can be irreparable. Uh, that, that's happened to all of us. Um, and once that happens, you start to really, you know, find that, that what they're doing is, is somewhat suspect. Can I trust you with my data moving forward? So just the public relations impact can, can be um, insurmountable in some cases. So I think you're on a great point. I, I've heard a lot of people say that, that we really don't have anything that, that the bad guys want. And I heard a, a cybersecurity professional say a couple of years ago, they call it fishing for a reason, that they've got a lot of lines in the water, so to speak. They're not just going after the, the big names. They're going after thousands of people every single day. And it's the ones that trip up they're going to, to be able to exploit. So I think that's a great point. It's not just the, the big companies. It can happen to the small and the medium-sized companies as well. Hey, the data's worth what someone's willing to pay for it, right? And yeah. That's, uh, that, that's what it comes down to. Hey, you, uh, shall we switch gears a little bit, Eddie? I mean, uh, we talked, you know, in, in Antoinette's intro, she talked about mentorship and so on. But, sure. Uh, what about what about a young professional coming into the business today? You know, maybe maybe they're a physical security specialist or a cyber security specialist. But what's uh, what, what's Antoinette's advice? You know, on on someone coming into the industry. 
this is actually a really exciting topic for me. Um, the last, I don't know, six or eight months, I've gotten a lot of phone calls from a lot of colleagues saying, hey, I've got this young woman that's uh, breaking into the industry. Could you talk to her? And I mean, I probably had like six or 10. That in and of itself is one of the most exciting things for me, that there are so many women that are coming into our industry, both from physical security and cybersecurity. So for me, uh, I'm just excited to see the diversity. You know, we, we've never done a really good job in diversity. I've, I've, you know, most of my career, I've always been the only woman in the room. I was always the only female technician in the room. So seeing that there are women that are coming into our industry um, for, for as practitioners, as technicians, as engineers is super, super exciting. So the diversity is, is really cool. Uh, what I also try to talk about is the mission of being in security and what does that mean? And, and it's the reason why I came into this industry by, by design, right? I wasn't one of the ones that got trapped into it. Uh, it's always been a calling for me and to have an, to be able to participate and take an active part in securing environments for your fellow human is, is exciting. And it's something that, you know, you should be super proud of. Uh, just recently, I had a young woman that was working at um, one of my former customers and she's in college, she was interning and she's a cybersecurity major. And they asked me if I would speak with her and talk about cybersecurity in the physical security environment. And she never even thought about that, you know, operational technology in general. And so she, and I explained to her, like, there's not a lot of people that are doing this right now. So yeah. if you go into that, there's tons of opportunity. And so she texted me yesterday, said she was on her way back to school, wanted to know if she can continue, you know, chatting with me and, and keeping me updated. And to me, that's what it's all about, right? We've got to warm the bench. We need to have sure. the next generation of young professionals coming in excited with their incredible ideas. And I genuinely believe this, this next generation, they're the driving force behind a lot of really good change in industry in general. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm super excited. Um, uh, we're, we're all kind of active in SIA and watching Accelerize just happen uh, last yeah. week and, and the excitement around that and the quality of these young professionals is unbelievable. And yeah. what I'm enamored by the most, which I didn't have as a young woman in this industry, is they all have a voice and they all have an outlet to speak and to be heard. And I'm really impressed by the older generation listening. And there never was that, you know, um, yeah. that dialogue and, and the active listening. And so that makes me super excited about the future of, of our industry in general. Yeah, and you said on a great point, I think some barriers are certainly being broken down. There's a lot of progress. And I was at a security event actually over in Europe just a couple of months ago when there was an entire session on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it was a great workshop. We had a lot of frank, open conversations. But at the end of the session, the moderator said, okay, you have a year. Come back in a year and tell us what you put into place and what results you had. And you could almost hear sort of the trepidation in the room, like, oh, we actually have to go do something and show it if we come back here next year. So, so while the barriers are being broken down, what advice would you give to companies across the entire security spectrum, whether it's cybersecurity, uh, personnel, um, all security services, what can they do to open more doors for young professionals and women in security? So first and foremost, um, when, a company creates a job description, they need to be really cognizant of the language that they use in yeah. job description. Mm. There are a lot of scientific studies that have been done when you're putting out a job description, the way that men and women, um, if we're thinking, we're just talking about gender, men and women look at job descriptions and the statistics are pretty high for women that, you know, 
they need to have 90 to 100 percent of those qualifications to even apply for the job yeah. and then we'll look at if they have 50 percent sometimes even lower they'll say oh, i'll send in my resume and see what happens and so uh, wow. oftentimes companies will say, I'm trying, we're just not getting the applicants. How do I hire more, <laughs> you know, more women, more people of color. If I'm not getting the applicants to come in, what do I do? Look at the language that you're using in a, the job description, but B also, you know, they're all using these automated filters, um, these AI engines to, to look at resumes. And so sometimes the resumes don't even get to the people because they've gotten pushed aside based yeah. on whatever keywords they were looking for. So you have to be a little more creative on the way that you're doing hiring. I know automation is a big part because people are tight in resources, but you need to be creative. You need to actively engage with the communities that you want to hire from, you know, get out into the women in security, get out into, you know, any of the other diverse groups that are out there and go to the schools start advocating for people to, to come into our industry, but you have to do something, right? You know, you just said, Eddie, like people are challenged to do something. You can't just keep doing things the same way and expect a different change. Exactly. Yeah, and I've always said agreeing with a mission and being part of achieving that mission are, are two very different things. Um, if you were to ask anyone in our industry, Certainly a vast majority would say, I agree with young professionals, women in security, encouraging them, but what are we actually doing to do that? And I think mentorship is a huge part of that as well. I'm sure we could all go around and tell stories about mentors that we've had and, and really have led us to the place we are now. We have to do the same thing and also be sensitive to making sure those, those doors are open. And as you put it very well, having that voice right now is very, very important. And one of the things I see as far as the barriers falling down is a lot of young professionals, uh, men and women, are bringing a lot of expertise to the table, just to be honest, that guys like Mark and I probably don't have. Uh, so we need that to leverage that. So I, I think I agree with you. It's an exciting time. The future is bright. And what a tough question of the day as we wrap up the, the chat today. If you had to choose one or the other, physical security or cybersecurity, where do you go? All right. My love, of course, is physical, but I'm going to go with cyber and I'll give you a quick qualifier. I firmly believe you cannot have one without the other. And so I would still work in cybersecurity, but there's always going to be that physical element of security. And I, I just long for the day where we just call it security because <laughs> that's really what it is. <laughs> yeah. Great point. And um, I know Mark and I say that a lot. Uh, one day it'll be the security industry. And, and we'll be responsible for mitigating all risks, whether they're cyber, physical, et cetera. So I think we're heading toward that day. Hopefully we'll see it in the near future. Antoinette, cannot thank you enough. This has been great. Um, as we said at the beginning, when we decided to talk to someone in cybersecurity, you were the one and only choice. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I truly appreciate it. You guys are great. Thanks Look forward so to seeing you soon. Absolutely.